Good morning, church. Uh, all right, before we get to the message this morning, um, it is a very special day. We are going to have some baptisms today, and uh, I too just want to invite you to come down to Schultz Lake um, after the service. Um, what we're going to do here in this service is we're going to hear from those who are going to be baptized, and um, then once we're down at the lake, we're going to go straight into the baptism ceremony, and um, these always prove to be just beautiful times, and so please be there if you can, excuse me, if you can. Come and support those who are getting baptized. Let me tell, give you just a word about baptism, why we do this. Um, there are, there's this little uh, acronym that we use here at the church that I've used to teach some of our older elementary school kids. And it's, it's the word SID, the name SID, S-I-D. And those three letters stand for three different things that explain why we get baptized. The S stands for submission. We get baptized because Jesus said, repent and be baptized. And we're seeing that in the book of Acts right now, that those instructions went out to those who were interested in what Jesus was offering, those who eventually gave their lives to him. Jesus said to them, and Peter and Paul and others said to them, repent and be baptized. And so out of obedience... We follow those instructions that Christ gave, gave and we get baptized. That's one of the reasons we do it. The I stands for identification. And this is an opportunity for us to identify with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And as we pass down under the water of baptism, we, we acknowledge his death, we identify with him in his death, but are raised to life with him again, washed clean and forgiven, and that's symbolized in the act of baptism. And then the D stands for declaration, and it's an opportunity for us to declare in public that this is who Jesus is to us, this is what we believe, this is what he's done for us, and we're taking this step to let everybody know that this is important to us. So we have four individuals who are going to be baptized this morning, and I'm going to invite Shiloh to come on up now, and Shiloh's going to start us off. And um, I just uh, I have to say this, is, uh, this has been an extreme privilege for me. I've had the opportunity to, um, to talk with Shiloh and hear your story, and I have to tell you, you just blessed me to the core as I got to know uh, who you are and what God has done in your life. And I'm just so excited for you today and honored to be a part of this. Why don't you go ahead and share with us a little bit about how God drew you to himself? Thanks. Uh, hello, my name is Shiloh Huddleston. I've been going to Chapel Hill with my husband for four or five months now. Um, and I've been a Christian since I was about five years old. Uh, but I just wanted to share with you a story from my walk with God. Um, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've also struggled with anxiety for most of my life as well, which makes today pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've always found my struggle with anxiety to be a little bit ironic because my name, Shiloh, actually means peace in, in Hebrew. And um, I had a Christian prophesy one day over me on, on a bus in an encounter that was definitely set up by God that I was going to be a peacemaker and that peace would be like a mantle, a mantle in my life. And I found it kind of funny and kind of moved on. And uh, the next year was my sophomore year in college. And my struggle with anxiety really came to a head. Um, I got to this really dark place where barely able to eat, barely able to function. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to get out of it. It was a really dark time. It was really scary. I was seeking professional help at the time as well. Um, but during that time at college, uh, this odd thing began to happen. Um, recurringly, I saw the, the numbers 431 repeated multiple times every day uh, in, in my surroundings. And I know that sounds weird, so bear with me. 
Um, every time I'd be in the car, I'd be driving past, and there'd be a car with a license plate that had 431 in it. I would turn my head at just the right moment and catch 431 in an address on a building as it would go by. Someone would always text me or call me at 431. I would play a game with my friends. My score would be 431. It was multiple times a day, and then it got even weirder because I started to wake up at night at 431. And I wasn't just waking up, I was woken up. It was like this breath of air that came into me and I'd look at the clock and be 431 and then I'd be asleep again. It was kind of strange. And so I thought that the Holy Spirit was trying to talk to me. So I opened up my Bible one day and I looked for a book that had a chapter four and a verse 31 and uh, waited for God to kind of show me what was standing out that he was pointing out to me. And he pointed out Deuteronomy 431 that says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you, nor will he forsake the covenant he made with your ancestors. And that meant the world to me at the time because I felt like this shriveled up leaf that was getting blown away into oblivion and God did not care. Um, and yet here he was with this little 431 poking into my discomfort multiple times a day, every day, um, saying, hey, I love you, I'm merciful, this is going to get better, we're going to keep moving forward, I see your pain and your discomfort, and then not abandoning or destroying you, you know, I took that to really mean, okay, God, um, he has more for me than this, this isn't the end, I'm, I'm not going to get taken down by this, um, and then the second part of that verse about not abandoning the covenant, that was also so helpful to me as well, because it reminded me of this prophecy that this lady had said over me um, the year before that I really discounted, because there's no way that I could ever be a peacemaker or have peace like a mantle in my life. Um, and God in that moment really spoke to me because the creepiest thing about it that I haven't even said yet is I was actually born at 4.31 p.m. on a Friday. Um, and so God came to me in this moment. He's like, hey, I know you don't see it. I know you don't feel it. I know peace is the furthest thing from you right now, but this is key to who you are. It's in your name. It's in the timing of your birth, and I will make you a peacemaker, and I will have peace be like a mantle in your life. And wow, um, I obviously got through that season of life. I came out of it, um, you know, with God and, and got stronger for it. And peace is certainly something that I still struggle with. I am not at that destination. I still struggle with anxiety quite severely sometimes. Um, but I do know where I'm headed and in, in what direction I'm headed. And I'm excited to see what God has for me on that, that path. And I fully believe that he'll take me there. And I'm honestly really excited today to just reaffirm my commitment to him and to that. So that's my story. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's absolutely remarkable. This is uh, some pretty clear evidence. We're, we're doing a series right now on the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Well, the Holy Spirit's very active in Shiloh's life, and there is no denying that. This is God speaking to you, directing you, and we're excited to be able to share this with you today. All right, bring up a couple more chairs, you guys, and, uh, and come on up here. Things are going to get a little goofy now. I was on the phone with my father the other day and um, told him what was going to happen today with two of my sons. And uh, we were reminiscing a little bit about when I got baptized and I was around their age, just a couple years younger, and we were going through some of the, some of the craziness of that day and what happened. And I'm going to try not to, to follow in my dad's footsteps. Um, he bawled like a baby when he was baptizing me in front of the church. And it was, it was great. It was a phenomenal moment. But um, these three guys... 
have been buddies for a long time. And uh, we go way back here in this church, and um, the, the friendship that has developed here um, is absolutely remarkable. And so they wanted to do this together. And uh, they'll, they'll tell you, see, I'm going to lose it. They'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, and so this is Ryan Hendrickson. Ryan, you can take that. And um, what I've done is, is ask these guys to answer a couple of questions. First of all, Ryan, just tell us a little bit about who Jesus is to you and how you came to, to be a follower of Jesus. Um, well, yeah, normally I'm not the one on the mic. Normally I'm the one back there, so this is a little bit weird. <laughs> um, but no, I've grown up in a Christian family for most of my life, and so I've kind of always had it. But um, over the past few years, hanging out with these guys and just coming to Chapel Hill, um, he's become... I've become closer to him, and he's become someone that I can just talk to without fear of judgment or without them thinking bad of me or without me saying the wrong thing. Um, and he's just there whenever I need it. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's been fun to watch that develop, to watch that grow in you. Why do you want to be baptized today? Um, well, this, the three of us just graduated from high school, and so we're all headed off on our own separate paths. Um, and so we thought it would be a good time before we all headed off, and this is something we all wanted to do together. Awesome. All right. Um, next, we have one of my boys. This is Liam. And uh, Liam, same questions for you. Tell us a little bit about who Jesus is to you and how you became a follower. Yeah, well, uh, he's my savior. And, uh, again, he's been a guiding light through, again, high school, middle school, especially seeing friends or classmates that have, struggled and then you know me realizing that hey I have something they don't I have Jesus and again going through middle school when Jamie came in and he really pushed us to see that our faith is our own and it's not just something that you know when times get hard we're just blown away and again coming into high school now or ending high school now it's looking back and realizing you know he was there through the the good and the bad and realizing that my what some of my friends didn't have and realizing that, hey, he's always been there for me. Yes. Yeah, he has. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do it. You know I'm going to do it. My dad's going to laugh. <laughs> Why do you want to get baptized today, Liam? Uh, for me, it's, uh, again, the point in the life where we're getting more on our own. And what a better time than to, to say that, hey, I'm yours. And uh, Jesus, you died for me. And I want to declare to the world that, you know, you are my savior. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. All right. And this is Jude, also one of mine. And I'm just claiming Ryan today. He's another one of mine. These are my triplets. <laughs> Jude, same question for you. Um, tell us who Jesus is to you, what he means to you, and how you became a follower. Yeah, so for me, Jesus is my shepherd. I love Psalm 23, and every day that reminds me uh, who Jesus is to me, and it, it helps strengthen me every day. And yeah, so I've always I've grown up in the church because my dad. And uh, <laughs> for me, uh, getting to know Jesus has been more of a transformation. Transformation. And uh, yeah, over the past year, I've really grown spiritually, and I've just come to know him. Way more now. Yeah. yeah, I've watched all of you grow. It's just been a thrill, not just as a dad, but as a, a, a 
your friend's dad. <laughs> it's just been, been really great to watch all three of you grow. Why do you want to get baptized today, Jude? Oh, uh, yeah, just like Liam and Carl, I graduated high school, and now we're going off to college, so this is a pretty good time to declare who Jesus is to me before uh, I go off into the real world. And, uh, yeah, I really want that full righteousness of Jesus, and uh, the only way to do that is through baptism, so got to do it. Good for you. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Take your chairs with you. <laughs> They'll come and get it. Go ahead. Yeah, take it down. Take it down. <laughs> All right. Um, let's take a moment now and just uh, pray for these four individuals and for what lies ahead for them today. Will you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for this amazing opportunity and for the work that you have done in the lives of Shiloh and Ryan and Liam and Jude and um, all of what you've done to bring them to this point. Um, God, we see your hand all over their lives and uh, we are just excited to be able to share a time of celebration with them as they take this step uh, step of obedience, step of identifying with, with Jesus, and step of declaring to all that are here and, and many more just who they are, who they belong to, uh, what they believe. Um, God bless them in this. I just pray that this, this day will be very, very meaningful to each one of them and um, that you will be in every moment of it and your spirit will be very present in their lives, encouraging, affirming, uh, directing, just speaking to them in every way. God, just bless them today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Bibles. Open your Bibles. Open up your Bible apps. If you need a Bible, put your hand up as we continue in our series in the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Our ushers are bringing Bibles around that you can use to follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep that Bible and take it with you. Um, just one more word here. The flowers on stage uh, came from Irene Thiel's memorial service yesterday, which was a wonderful celebration of life. Um, Irene had such a tremendous impact in this world and um, that was so evident yesterday as we gathered to celebrate and grieve and um, and just commit her to the Lord and thank God for what he's done in her life um, and through her uh, just a, an incredible incredible time um, oh and by the way one more thing that I forgot to mention uh, Ryan was up here and it's Ryan's birthday today so um, kind of a special day for him in many ways <clears throat> All right, uh, one of the trends that I've watched take off in my lifetime, and uh, I've been around for a while now, but is the way that our culture has become very how-to oriented. We have become a culture that is just pursuing all the time how to do things we want to learn quickly, easily. We want to know how to do pretty much anything. Um, there are some things we wish we could do better, like fix the internet on the fly, uh, things like that. But um, we are in this kind of an era where that's just what we do. We're after. We, we want to know how to do pretty much anything. And even the church in our culture has fallen into this trend. Um, I have in my office shelves full of books 
on how to do church. It's a very popular topic amongst Christian writers. There are so many different books you can get and, uh, and different things you can do online to learn all this stuff about how to do church. You can, just as easily as you can Google anything else, you can Google how to do church and you will find an answer for it. I, I did it myself, and it was quite entertaining. Um, there are all these different things um, that we can do as we learn how to do things, and we pursue that. Today's passage from Acts chapter 2 has been used extensively in the ministry of the church as a, as a how-to when it comes to doing church. It's a very common passage. I am not going to use it that way today. Um, rather than looking at this as a blueprint or a list of how-to tips or instructions, this time as I read through the passage, a well-known passage, I saw values jump off the page. Not just best practices. I saw values. And today I want to talk about the values of the church as we are given a look into what the church was like back at the very beginning in the New Testament, following the arrival of the Holy Spirit, now we get this account of this is what happened. And so um, that's what I want to focus on today. And what I want to share with you is values, the values of the church. Now, a little bit of a definition. A value, just so we're all on the same page, is a judgment of what's important. It's a standard that determines behavior. It's not the behavior itself. It's what's behind the behavior. It's a standard that determines it. Values are the why behind what we do. That's different than just seeing a bit of instruction and following it. What we're about to read has been used as a blueprint, blueprint for the church many, many times. In fact, I have done it myself in my past. But today, I want us to see it as a set of values that can help us as individuals and a church determine what to do. This is not something we just copy because that's what the church did in the first century. We'll see things that we definitely want to do ourselves, we want to mimic, but what I want is for us to adopt the values that set the foundation for the practices that we'll see, okay? <clears throat> as a church, as Chapel Hill Church, we have values. We here at, Ch at Chapel Hill value growing in Christ, living in love, and impacting the world. It's something that we come back to again and again. And it's through those lenses that we see ourselves and the decisions that we make as a church. Through those three values. And there are more. Not just to judge the institution of the church and evaluate how we're doing it. These are values through which we ourselves, all of us, make decisions about our place in the church, our participation in the church. So here we go. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit has arrived. Peter has just addressed the crowd that was gathered and was rather confused by what they had just seen. Through Peter, God has presented the Jews who were present with a clear gospel presentation, a powerful message about prophecy, about the Messiah, about the crucifixion of Jesus, and the salvation that was available to them through the grace of God. And 3,000 people were added to God's family. And now we get a picture 
of that first church in action. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Luke says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's an awful lot happening in these few verses. This was such a significant moment for God's church period, for us. This is an account of the follow-up, the response, the next steps of those who had received salvation and been adopted into God's family. This is strong evidence that their journey hadn't ended. When 3,000 were added that day, it wasn't just the end of the journey. And okay, they're on the list, so we're done. They hadn't arrived at the finish line just because they accepted God's gift of grace. This was a beginning. And so I'm going to talk through some of the things that stand out in this passage and bring some more context to them. And then at the end, I'll summarize what I saw as a powerful set of values that are highlighted in these verses. There is so much that we can take away from this. Okay, the first word that caught my attention in this passage is the word devoted. They were devoted. They devoted themselves. Being devoted means you have a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. That one thing is your focus. In fact, in this context, it has a pretty strong meaning. I saw the phrase obstinate persistence. Obstinate persistence that was attached to this word devoted. This is more than just an occasional participation. It's not that kind of mindset. Those who received the gift of grace were all in. And so what were they all in for? Well, they wanted to grow. And so they became like sponges. And they soaked up all that the disciples were teaching. Remember that Jesus had instructed the disciples to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Their, their marching orders were to teach, and so they did. And so even though we don't have a record of all that they were teaching, we can assume that they were passing along what they had learned, what they had heard from Jesus. They didn't have to create their own curriculum. They had been given so much by Jesus, and they were just passing that along. They were all in for the fellowship. This means a lot. Um, it's not as simple as just showing up for events that were planned and, and interested them. This thing referred to as the fellowship has many dimensions. It includes fellow, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about right now. Paul signed off 2 Corinthians by mentioning the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That fellowship, it's the same word. The fellowship included participation in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Paul also wrote of this in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The right hand of fellowship is another term related to this fellowship. This has to do with acceptance. 
The church is a place of belonging. And Paul used this term in 2 Corinthians 9 regarding shared possessions. That was part of the fellowship. And all of this is connected to the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. But it has all of these dimensions. The new church was devoted to koinonia and all its applications. The fellowship was what they shared with God and what they shared with each other. It was invaluable. Verse 42 also mentions that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This term has been interpreted a few different ways. But there's one line of reasoning that I I tend to align myself with. I believe this term applies to the simplicity of sharing a common meal, but with a purpose. They ate together, but when they did, they followed what had been taught by Jesus. When Jesus introduced the idea of communion to his disciples, he incorporated it into a meal. They broke bread at the beginning of the meal and shared the cup at the end of the meal. It's what they did on a regular basis. The disciples passed that along to the church, and what was once as common as a simple meal now had deep significance as an opportunity to remember Jesus together as his family. This practice became something that was referred to as the Lord's Supper, and was commonplace in the church for a very long time. They were devoted to this shared time of fellowship and remembrance over a meal. The fourth thing mentioned in verse 42 is the prayers. I believe this was, again, a combination of things, not just one simple form. The believing Jews continued to attend the ritual prayer times at the temple, but they also began to pray together in their homes. Once again, Jesus had taught his disciples how to pray, and they passed that instruction along to this new church. By the second century, there were things like a manual called the Didash that helped guide the church and its life, and this manual recommended that the church, that believers pray through the Lord's Prayer three times a day. This was commonplace in the early church in the first few centuries. But remember that Jesus taught his disciples about intimacy with God and not simply religious rituals. That's what was being passed along. That's what they were so devoted to and all in for. Verse 43 talks about awe coming on all the witnesses to this birth of the church. There were many supernatural things taking place well beyond the speaking of foreign languages when the Holy Spirit arrived. The disciples had power, and that power scared people, and awe can best be translated as fear. Fear came over all the people. And note the wording in verse 43, the signs and wonders were not being done by the apostles, they were being done through the apostles. The Holy Spirit was at work in God's vessels, the disciples. Verse 44 uh, is one of those verses that intimidates us tremendously. The believers were together and had everything in common. And what we need to see here is the depth of the value expressed. The unity among the believers was so 
profound. And within that experience of deep unity, they willingly shared what they had with the rest of the church. Um, We're going to look more deeply into this when we get to chapter 4 in our Acts study. But note that they used whatever they had to ensure that no one in the church family was in need. Verse 45 says that they sold things that they had, including property, to make this happen. Needs were met. No one went hungry. No one was neglected. No one suffered alone. Verse 46 says that day by day they spent time together. Sometimes in the temple, which as Jews they were already accustomed to. Sometimes meeting in their own homes. And note that the new believers were never asked to break ties with the Jewish temple. This was still a sanctuary for them. And now their sanctuary experience expanded to include their homes. The the temple stopped being as essential as it was to the Jews. They didn't have to go there to experience the presence of God. But it remained tremendously valuable to them. All right, eating together is back in the commentary. Uh, no wonder this tradition has, been, has lasted for thousands of years. The early church ate together. It's something that they did. And this time Luke mentions their attitudes. They were grateful and they were generous. They enjoyed eating together. Out of this practice, the house church movement of the first century formed. They gathered in homes and shared a meal. That prepared the church well for the persecution that was soon to come after this. They ate, they remembered, they simply enjoyed being together. No pretense, no staging, just the joy of being God's family. Now church, let me throw a challenge at you, all right? We've started bringing new life to this kind of fellowship through our community groups. Eating together is just part of that culture, as it should be. We eat together. Meals are a great time for fellowship. And so here's my challenge. As weird as it might feel for a little while at first, I want to encourage you to add to your community group gatherings and meals what the New Testament church added. At the beginning of your meal, share the bread of communion together. And at the end of your meal, share the cup together. Remember whose family you belong to by sharing communion together around a meal with your community groups. It doesn't have to be some big polished production. Just try remembering together the way that the early church did. It was simple. Make our meals together as community groups an expression of the Lord's Supper. And if you want help with the how to do this, just come and talk to me. But I want to challenge you to try it in your community groups. Verse 47 gives us the results of the early church's activity. As they expressed the values that God had given them through the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the apostles, there were some natural byproducts to all that. They praised God together. True fellowship among God's people always results in praising the one who called us together as a family. Living in community 
helps us focus on all that God is doing for us, all that he's done for us, all that he's going to do for us. The early church also found favor with all the people. There was certainly some intense persecution that was coming. It hadn't come yet, but in that moment, they found favor with all the people. And there were some religious leaders who were opposed to the early church right from the start, often just because of jealousy. But overall, the people around them were drawn to what they saw. And what did they see? Well, in a minute, I'm going to close with a look at the values we've just read about. That's what they saw. They saw these values in practice, in real life. And they wanted that. And church, so does our culture today. The world wants and needs what the church provides simply by being God's family. And finally, at the end of verse 47, we see God doing what must have brought him extreme joy. Every day, he added people to his family. God did. The disciples didn't. God did. God's spirit moved in the lives of all those who were close enough to see what he was doing in his church. And Chapel Hill, let that be our prayer for us, that the world sees what God is creating here and is drawn to it. This passage is loaded with values that ought to impact the way we view the church. With these values in sight, we should be praying for God's spirit to guide us in everything we do, in how we live our life as a church here in Egan, Minnesota. All right, so here I go. I want to point out to you 12 values that I pulled out of this short passage that I think just need to be at the core of who we are. 12 values. Value number one, devotion. Persisting obstinately in our pursuit of God's will for his people, right here, right now, obeying God and his will with total devotion. A church that is all in. Devotion has to be right at the core of who we are. Value number two, growth. Devotion to the teaching that we've received in God's word, to maturity, to transformation, to becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more like God's family every single day. Value number three, fellowship, unity, belonging, helping others belong, creating this community that God has put together and, and expanding it and making it something that, that everyone will look at and say, I want that. Value number four, breaking bread, celebrating God in the ordinary, remembering Jesus, just like he instructed us to. Value number five, prayer, dependence on God, gratitude for all that God does, Humility with God and deep intimacy with him. Value number six, vessels. Knowing that we are vessels that God's spirit is working in and through. And yesterday we remembered one who lived this out very clearly. 
Jesus loves Irene Thiel, and the love of Jesus flowed through her into the lives of so many people, and that was such an inspiration for all of us. Value number seven, sharing. All things in common. That's a mindset. What we have is not our own. Concern for the needs of others is a key value for us as a church. Value number eight, togetherness. In this building and in our homes, truly enjoying each other because of all God's done to draw us to himself and create this eternal family that we're part of. Value number nine, combined one, gladness and generosity. Hearts that focus on how generous God is and that he has made us in his image as generous people as well. Value number 10, praise. That our focus will always be on God and not on us. Value number 11, favor. Our heart's desire should be for the world to see what we have and want it. And so, church, we've got to show them what we have. We have to tell them what we have. Value number 12, expansion. We long, deeply long to see God's family grow day by day. These are the lenses through which we see the church. We do what we do because these things are important to us and they determine our steps. And this does not just apply to the institution of the church. This applies to every single one of us directly. As we walk through these few chapters and acts, let's make this our goal. We want to reflect the New Testament church and its values, but that reflection can't happen without the inner source of who we are and what we do aligning with the inner source of the New Testament church. And that source is God's Holy Spirit and His Spirit is ours and he is here in our midst. And let that be our prayer for Chapel Hill Church. Will you pray with me now and then our worship team's gonna come and close our time with a final song. Father, I do ask that you will take these things that we see in this short passage in Acts chapter two, that you will make these values our values and that each one of them will grow more and more in the life of this church, in our lives individually. Day by day, we will become more and more a clear reflection of who you are and what matters to your family. Keep doing this work in us, Father. I, I just ask that you would finish what you started. And I thank you for all that you've done to bring us to this point, to create this community to make us part of your family and to make yourself known in our presence. Once again, Lord, I just want to ask for your blessing on the moment that lies ahead as we go and, and baptize these four individuals. God, bless each one of them in that moment. Let them feel very intimately the, the presence of your spirit in their lives. Thank you for their testimony today. Father, we just ask for your continued blessing on this church. We love you. We praise you. We appreciate you. 
We're so grateful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.